Well, hello. Yeah, good morning and hello. Good to see you and hear you. Glad you're here this morning. My name's Chad Myers. I'm our adult discipleship director. And uh, I was back there on the side, but I heard your uh, gracious applause. So good to see you as well. And thank you for joining us online wherever you may be, uh, whether you're driving or in a coffee shop, or in your living room, that's great. Wherever you are, uh, God's grace to you and blessing upon you. We need to work on like two-way cameras, though, so we can see you as well. That would be fantastic. Uh, shout out to my wife and kids joining us online as well from Missouri. Only a few more shout outs that I have to do for them joining us online, because as I said a few weeks ago, we're, they're coming back. We're going to move here together as a family in Lexington and get to be with you guys, and thank you. I just wanted to hear your applause again. <laughs> so we're excited about that and um, look forward to um, starting again in some ways with you and what God will do. We're very hopeful for the future. So uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Uh, I, I have today's sermon is going to feel a little bit less like a sermon and a little bit more teachy. Uh, and so I just want to prepare you up front uh, buckle up, maybe take some notes. If you're a note taker, you can write some things down or on your phone or whatever, but it's gonna feel a little bit more teachy just so you're prepared. And we are in our series on stages, and today we're gonna be talking about the stage of growth or the growth stage. And the challenge with this is the title is a little misleading because this is not a stage that you're ever out of. This is the stage that you're always in. You never enter into the growth stage and then arrive at some certain level where you're like, aha, I'm, I'm finished. I've arrived. I've achieved it. Uh, I've crossed the line. That just doesn't happen spiritually speaking. You begin a relationship with Christ and you start to spiritually grow. And the end is when we are fully with Christ in eternity. That's the end. But as long as we're here, we got work to do. And so I would like to walk us through this this morning. I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to get, uh, start off with our passage today. And my question is this. Are you spiritually growing, or are you spiritually stuck? Are you spiritually growing, or are you spiritually stuck? And notice that there's no in-between. There's no neutral. There's no middle ground. You're either going against the current, or you're letting it take you downstream. The, the, another way to say it is we don't naturally drift towards Jesus. In fact, left to our own devices, we probably drift away from Jesus and away from what's best for us, from our purpose, and from all healthy choices in, in, in our lives. And so the law of entropy works even on the soul. Maybe we could say especially on the soul. So as we have this uh, talk today, I want you to be evaluating yourself, thinking about you and your own relationship to God or faith, wherever you may be, and where do you identify and perceive yourself and how can you grow? I don't want you to think about who came with you, right? Sure, they need to grow, absolutely, definitely need to grow, but I don't want you to give them any nudges like, oh, this one's for you. Don't we think about your neighbor, your parents, your kids, your grandkids, whoever. Like, this is you, what, uh, where do you need to grow? Our passage today that I'm going to use as a springboard and kind of theme throughout is Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, and it says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. They're stuck. 
In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, that's how you say it, not mature, mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who are spiritually stuck. And the writer uses the analogy of milk as a food that infants need, but it's not enough to sustain a full-blown adult. Like we, we had the baptisms earlier. Congratulations to all you beautiful families with your beautiful, beautiful kids. I saw one of them, Trevor, was like baptizing you like... You touch my head. You touch my head, like right. And uh, these beautiful children being uh, placed in the community of faith through baptism and starting this process of spiritual growth, but they're also in that place of physical growth where they need milk. And don't worry, I warmed it up. Right, it's ready. Uh, and they need this this physical and spiritual sustenance. But the writer says, "Look, spiritual milk is a good place to start." but it's not a good place to stay. It's necessary. Everybody needs to start with the basics and the basic conversations and basics under understandings. That's great. But I wish we could have deeper conversations, the writer says. I wish we could get on to harder conversations. And I wish we could talk about ways and rhythms of grace as you engage with people around you and the culture around you. And I wish we could talk about loving God and loving others, but you're just not there. You're spiritually stuck. Like, you should be moved on to a filet, but you're looking at milk. And if a filet doesn't do anything for you, like, you should be moved on to a pound of bacon, but you're stuck on milk. And if you don't like bacon, we have crisis counselors off to the side. God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> when our kids were uh, little, they understood this concept, like kids gotta, you gotta eat to, to grow, right? In fact, when we had our second child, uh, we were in the hospital, and so our oldest daughter was about two, and our youngest daughter was zero, and uh, we're in the hospital, and uh, our oldest daughter was eating Cheerios, and she wanted to make sure that our youngest daughter also was gonna be nourished as well, right? And so we were over here talking, and one by one, our youngest daughter was getting stuffed Cheerios right in her mouth, just Cheerio after Cheerio after Cheerio, until my wife looked over and was like, oh, no, 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 no. She's not ready for that yet. She's not ready for those Cheerios. And our oldest daughter was like, I sharing, I sharing. I'm like, yes, that's so wonderful, but you're also gonna choke her. Like, we can't share like that yet. I guess it, it kind of runs in the family or like the payback thing because then we had our son and the daughter who had Cheerios stuffed in her mouth at one point stuffed raisins in that kid's mouth when he was three days old, just raisin after raisin. Thank God we caught that as well. We're like, nope, not ready for raisins yet. You've got to start on the basics, but you can't stay on the basics. You've got to move forward. So what I would like to do is talk about four stages of growth as it relates to the ministry of Jesus and who was around Jesus. What are the stages like for us? How do we get stuck or go back to the baby bottle in that stage? And then how do we move on to maturity, okay? So that's where we're going, four different stages, curious, crowd, committed, and core. 
the curious, the crowd, the committed, and the core, all people around Jesus. Where are you, where are we, and what do we need to go forward? First, the curious, stage one. When you're curious about Jesus or God or spiritual things, you have questions. You have things that you want to ask or you want to know about, and you would like some answers. And if you're curious about Jesus, that's because God is working in your life. God is working in your life. Acts 17, 26 through 27 says this. From one man, he made all the people of the world. Now they live all over the earth. He decided exactly when they should live. So if you're alive right now, it's because you're meant to be alive right now. And he decided exactly where they should live. So wherever you are listening, that's exactly where you're meant to be. God did this, why? So that people would seek him. And perhaps they would reach out for him and find him. They would find him even though he is not far from any of us. God, why do I exist right now? God, why do I exist right here? We exist right now and right here so that we might find God. So that God might find us. I love this passage. It's incredibly encouraging and incredibly comforting. I'm not sure if it's full-blown tattoo passage, you know, but it's worth more than a, a sticky note. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those, it's really good to go back to, to memorize. I am here right now, you are here right now, that we might find God and be found by God. And if we have questions about Jesus, that's because God is working in our life. Nicodemus was curious. He was curious about Jesus, and he comes to Jesus. In John chapter 3, 1 and 2, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. So he's in the religious elite. He's a member of the, member of the Jewish ruling council, so he's powerful, influential, he's likely wealthy. He came to Jesus at night, at night, and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus has questions. He's intrigued, but he doesn't want to make it public yet. He comes to Jesus when? At night. He wants to research Jesus in kind of the, the safety and comfort of his own zone, and that's completely fine. He wants to get on the, the podcast and listen to a, a sermon or listen to some type of message, the apologetics that answers his question. Maybe he's ordering a book online and he's reading the book. You know, maybe he's joining a church online somewhere. He's sitting in the safety and comfort of his own home. He doesn't want to make it fully public yet. He's not ready to broadcast that to his family. He's not putting it on social media. He's not telling his friends like, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. No, not there, but definitely curious and intrigued and questions. And guess what? Jesus always honors honest questions. Always. He doesn't chastise Nicodemus. He doesn't criticize. What, what, Nicodemus, you couldn't come to me during the day? What's the matter? Aren't you a grown man? You had to come to me at night in the secret cover of night. He doesn't do any of that. He welcomes Nicodemus, meets him exactly where he is, and he answers his questions. In fact, later on in the crucifixion, uh, you see Nicodemus actually present with Joseph of Arimathea. They're gonna tend to Jesus' body. So Nicodemus moves beyond the curious stage, but right now, he's curious. I got questions. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you didn't grow up near the church at all, in or around it, and maybe you're here or you're you know, joining us online and you're like, yeah, I don't know anything about this, but I'm intrigued. I don't even know maybe why I'm here, but I'm intrigued. Or maybe like you were forced to go to church as a kid, anybody? 
Yeah? Okay, you say, whoop, oh, man. <laughs> parents still around? <laughs> and maybe you were forced to go to church, but now, like, you want to own it for yourself. God's doing something in your life. Or maybe you've been hurt by the church or disappointed in Christianity, but now you're working through some of that healing and you have intrigue and you have questions. You're a part of the curious. You're not quite ready to broadcast it yet, but you have questions. My wife has a, a friend and coworker back in Missouri and um, several years ago, they started hanging out after work on a Saturday night. After their shift, they would go out and get some food and talk. And uh, her friend told her, like, I'm, I'm an atheist. Like, I don't believe that God exists. And so they began their friendship, and they, hang, they, they uh, hung out together. And one night, she decided to say, you know, hey, hey, um, actually, I have a question for you. Tell me about the Israelites in the Bible. Like, who are they and what is all that about? And my wife was like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna talk Old Testament theology. And so they began to have these discussions, but it was in the safety of a friendship. And maybe the curious is going to look for someone who they can sit down and have coffee with or a meal with and say, I have some questions. I'm not really ready to ask them fully out loud, but you seem like a person I can trust. I would like to have these questions with you. That's what it's like in the curious stage. In the curious stage, how do you get stuck on the milk? How do you get stuck on baby's milk instead of moving past that? First, you become content with curiosity. Like the curiosity is all that it is. And second, fascination fails to become following. Like you're fascinated, you're intrigued, you're curious, like, oh, I have all these questions and I'm eating up all this information and I have all this intrigue, but it doesn't ever go beyond that. It doesn't ever press further than that. Like it kind of remains that. You remain only joining online or only looking online or only listening to podcasts. You never actually make that step to become a part of the community of faith. Here is your move to maturity. Act on the answers you find. Act on the answers you find. And I would argue that when you are genuinely curious and you are finding some answers, you probably have enough to start moving forward. You probably have enough to start moving forward. And when you do then you become part of stage two, the crowd. So from the curious to the crowd. Luke 9.11 says this, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. It's no secret when Jesus was teaching and traveling and working miracles, large crowds gathered around him. They were intrigued. There's a lot of excitement in a crowd. There's a lot of passion in a crowd. There's a lot of momentum in a crowd. And what does it say? The reason that the crowd was coming near to Jesus was to do what? To hear his teaching and because he was bringing healing. And if you're in the crowd, you're drawn to Jesus because you need the healing truth of God and you need the healing touch of God. Crowds need the healing truth of God and crowds need the healing touch of God. You begin to hear things preached on and spoken on that start to name things going on inside of you that you never knew were there. Maybe it feels a little bit exposing and vulnerable, but it's also refreshing that someone could know you in such a way. And then, and then there's that, that, that truth, and then there's the grace of like, and yet I'm held and loved and accepted just as I am, exactly as I am, that I don't have to perform and be anybody else, but there's a person who could love me like that unconditionally. And that teaching is water for a thirsty soul. And you're a part of the crowd. 
And the reality is this, somewhere between curious and crowd, it's very likely that you make a decision to follow Jesus. Somewhere between curious and crowd, you're like, okay, no, I'm, I'm ready to, to go, kind of go public with this. I don't even know how this looks, but I'm gonna be baptized. Uh, I'm gonna commit. I'm gonna be a believer. People are gonna know, like, I'm, I'm following Jesus. And, 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 and maybe that's conscious, but also maybe it's subconscious. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Like, sometimes we don't even know why we're drawn to spiritual things or to the church or to Jesus. We don't even know why, but we know we are. And then we go through this process, and then we kind of realize, oh, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. I guess that's true about me. So sometimes you look back and you're like, that's the day, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And sometimes you look back and you're like, well, it's been a journey for me and a process, but yeah, I'm here and I'm in. And crowds are great. Crowds are Sundays. I love Sundays. Sundays are exciting. I leave every Sunday after coming to Mount Horeb and being a part of this, energized, refreshed, challenged. I, I love Sundays. And Sundays are a part of the crowd. Maybe Easter and Christmas, that's a part of the crowd. Crowds are exciting. Maybe a Christian concert or conference, that's a part of the crowd. They're good things. Maybe if you're in the crowd, you start to pick up a New Testament or a book of Psalms. Uh, maybe you start to read the Bible. Your relationship with Jesus is actually genuine. It's actually genuine, even if maybe it's a little too dependent upon feelings. And your prayer life is also genuine, even if maybe it's a little surfacy. And I'll say that a little bit more about that later. Sometimes the crowd prayer life is like, I'm going to pray for my great aunt's big toe, right? Nothing wrong with praying for your great aunt's big toe, but maybe it needs to be deeper and more. That's what it's like to be in the crowd. Your relationship to Christ is genuine, but it has room to grow. Your surrender spectrum in the crowd is like, yeah, I'm surrendering a little bit. I'm learning what it means to, to love God and love others a little bit. I I'm still have a lot of room to grow, though. Here's two ways we get stuck in the crowd stage, two ways that we get stuck on the spiritual milk. First, the crowd is tempted to turn Jesus into a genie. The crowd is tempted to turn Jesus into a genie. Now, what I mean by that is this. There were people in the crowd that would follow Jesus around, and, and, and literally one time they said, you know, hey, you, you did this great miracle for this other crowd that came that one time, and it was a fish and chip dinner, like all you can eat, and that was fantastic, and can we get some of that? Like, we didn't get that, but can we get, I'm, we're hungry too, Jesus, and can we get in on that? And Jesus said, you're only following, you're only in the crowd right now because you, you want me to do that and feed you, but why are you really here? And, and, and then there were other people who said, Jesus, do a sign, you know, do a sign, be a magician, do a sign, prove to us that you're the son of God. And often when we get stuck in the, the crowd stage, it's because we really want God to answer our prayer exactly as we think he's supposed to answer it. And then we become really frustrated or disappointed when life doesn't work out the way we had hoped it would work out. And maybe we start to get frustrated at God and we're like, hey, you didn't do this for me when maybe it's just life. And in that way, we, we get tempted to turn Jesus into a genie. The second stuckness in this stage is the crowd is tempted to tame the truth. Tempted to tame the truth. It's initially what draws people to Jesus. Like, wow, I've never heard truth like this. I've never heard teaching like this. This is incredible. It's deep. It resonates with everything that I understand about the world and life. It's the closest 
reality to my daily existence, but then when it gets personally uncomfortable, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. When it starts to challenge us or when it says things, when the truth says things like, yeah, I don't really like that, that's where we get tempted to tame the truth. We wanna blunt the edge of the sword of truth. We wanna pair the claws of the Lion of Judah. And so how do we move on to maturity? How do we move to maturity? We dig deeper by making our circle smaller. We dig deeper by making our circle smaller. You see, the crowd loves the hype, and the, I love the hype. The crowd loves the hype, but the crowd loves the hype more than the grind. And you and I both know, you live life long enough, life is about the grind. And it's about the grind of grace. And so what does it look like for us to move past the crowd? At some point in time, we have to move past the hype of the crowd. My, uh, my wife recently took uh, our, our children to a Cardinals game, St. Louis Cardinals game at Bush Stadium down in the city of St. Louis. And we, we love the, the stadium and the games, all, all sorts of fun. But they went and uh, it was a day game and there weren't a lot of people there. It was a beautiful day. So they were sitting up in the bleachers and the kids were kind of spread out because there wasn't a lot of fans at that, at, at that level. And they're getting nachos in like helmets, like Cardinals helmets. And they're, you're getting all the candy and the snacks and everything. They're having a, a great time. They're kind of close to the bathroom so the kids would get up every once in a while, go to the restroom, and then they come back. It was just, just a relaxing time watching a Major League Baseball game. Well, the game is over. The Cardinals win, of course. And so then there's like fireworks and everything. And all of a sudden, like my, my wife and three girls are kind of sitting in this area. My son was more down here and she could see him. All of a sudden, the crowd starts to leave and she watches our 11-year-old son and he gets up and he starts walking up the stairs with the crowd. And she's like, what's this guy doing? And so all of a sudden, he goes up the stairs with the crowd, and he just disappears. And she's like, well, what? maybe he had to go to the restroom or something. He knows we're still here. We're still sitting here. So he disappears. He doesn't come back. She's like, all right, we'll go up there. We got we to find our son. Uh, and so she goes up to the restroom, and there's a, a guy there. And she says, hey, can you check in the restroom, the men's restroom? Our, our son left a little while ago. I think he's in there. And the guy goes in the restroom, and she's like, no. Nah. He's like, no, he's not in here. And she's like, okay, well, that's weird. Maybe, he, maybe we just missed him. He went back down to sit down. So we, they went back to their seats and they look around and Boaz, our son, is nowhere to be found. So she started to get a little nervous. And so then she goes back to the bathrooms and she's like, surely, you know, you gotta look for this guy. He's in the restroom. And so, hey, hey, she asked someone to go in there. So they go in there and they're like, they come out and they're like, ma'am, I'm really sorry, nobody's in here. And all of a sudden it was like mama panic. You know what I mean? It was like, oh no. Our son's missing at a Cardinals game. This is, this is a big deal. And she thinks to herself, like, surely, surely he didn't just decide to walk to the car by himself. Like, surely he wouldn't have done that. But she thinks, we're going to go check the car. So they go down. They're trying to leave the stadium. And security is like, hey, if you go out, you can't come back in. And she's like, if I go out and my son's not there, I'm coming back in this stadium. Like, you don't, you don't mess with Mama Bear. You know what I'm saying? And so they go out. They walk to the car. And sure enough, there is our 11-year-old son standing by himself waiting at the car. And under the interrogation of my now relieved but still uh, panicked wife, she says, what did you do? How did this happen? Why are you here by yourself? To which he responds, mom, the crowd just took me. <laughs> yeah, 
The crowd just took you. You had zero responsibility in this. The crowd. She goes, yeah, I watched the crowd just take you. And if we're going to make a move to maturity past the crowd stage, we're going to have to at some point in time move against that momentum, step out of it, and we're going to have to shrink our circles. We can't continue to shirk responsibility and say, eh, the crowd just took me. We have to make our circle smaller. And when we do, we step into the committed stage. Curious, crowd, committed. The primary difference between the crowd and the committed is this. The crowd is interested in what Jesus can do for them. The committed are interested in what Jesus can do through them. That's a massive difference. It's not coming in, it's not only coming and receiving. Coming and receiving is good. It's blessed, all wonderful things. But it's coming and receiving and then pouring out. It's coming and receiving and then looking how to aim generosity and service and kindness and affirmation and outreach and evangelism and mission. It's, oh yeah, we've been filled up, not just to keep it to ourselves, we're gonna pour out. We're gonna give back. Luke 8, one through three, says it like this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons, not five or six, by the way, seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's not a crowd. They have names and faces now. They're committed. They're in. And guess what? It's actually costing them something. It says that, it says that these women, and, and as an aside, this is incredibly countercultural during Jesus' time. Other rabbis did not have women sitting under their teaching and following them and learning from them. This is incredibly subversive and contemporarily challenging at the time. And it says this, that they not only followed him, but they supported his ministry financially. And so you see this, that this, one of them is Joanna, the wife of Shuza, the manager of Herod's household. Now, you know this name. You know the name of Herod because you've heard it before. You typically hear it around Christmas. The wise men come and they see Herod, who says he's king of the Jews. And because Herod is threatened by who they say is one born king of the Jews, he goes ahead and he issues the edict for all children under, males under two to be killed in Bethlehem, right? It's not that Herod, but it's his son. This Herod had John the Baptist beheaded, right? Not any better, really. So this Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. He has a household manager named Chusa. Chusa's wife is Susanna. So can you imagine even the relational, even the familial conflict that they may have experienced following Jesus? The committed knows the cost. They know it's gonna cost something, and yet they're in. They're in. It's not the crowd. They get it. They love the crowd too, but they've moved on and they're committed. They've shrunk their circles, so to speak. When I was um, in college, we went to uh, a passion conference and passion started in 1998. 
uh, was about 3,000 college students, and we went in 99, there's about 11,000 college students, that's a big jump. And so we went to Dallas, and it was this conference, and I remember, I was a believer, but I remember something significant happened in my life uh, during the Passion Conference. And it, all I can say is that at that point in time, God just got my yes. It was like, all right, I know you, I'm following you, but you get my yes to everything. Yes to your calling on my life. Yes to whoever you want me to be. Yes to wherever you want me to live. Like, I surrender, and I'm in this for you. Like, I'm committed. And that happened in a crowd. But guess where some of the greatest growth took place? It was after that with some of the guys that I had experienced that conference with. And we said, hey, let's get together in a small group. Let's pray for each other. Let's read the Bible together. Let's hold each other accountable. And let's encourage each other. So for the next several years, we would meet off and on, and we would get in, involved in each other's life, pray for each other. Uh, we'd drive up to the church parking lot and sit in the car, and it's very idealistic college students, and we'd be like, let's, let's pray and wait for God to tell us who to minister to, and then let's go minister to those people. And we would do things like that, and I, I tell you this, those were some of the greatest growth opportunities for me because the circle had got smaller, and it was intimate. And I'm gonna say this to you, and I don't have time to expound it, so I'm just gonna do that for you. Um, we will only grow as deep with God as we are with other people. We will only grow as deep with God as we are with other people. We start to learn in the committed stage, we need the com redeemed community around us to point out our blind spots, to give us forgiveness, to give us that grace, to affirm us, to encourage us, to be cheerleaders and say, good job, you can do this. And in the committed the circle shrinks, so you join a Bible study. You start to realize your spiritual gifts. Maybe you teach or lead or you serve. We have a membership class at Mount Horeb. This is a great, not a perfect church, but a great church to be a part of. You sign up for the membership class. You start to learn about who you are and how you can be a part of this community and how we've been on mission trying to make a difference for Jesus. And you start to shrink these circles, and you're involved. You're in. Your prayer life is deeper. You don't just pray for physical healing. That's a good thing. We pray for those things. But you also pray when people are in physical pain or suffering that God would use those things to take them deeper in their faith. Two ways that we get stuck in this stage. Two ways that we go back to the baby bottle in this stage. Number one, we get focused on too much head knowledge. We get so interested in the next speaker, the next Christian book, uh, and we put a lot of information into our heads, but we don't get focused on transformation. We got a lot of information. Like we can give a lot of great Sunday school answers. We have a great ground of theology, but we often get stuck with too much head knowledge as opposed to too much transformed knowledge. Secondly, the illusion of arrival. Sometimes when we're in this stage, we think that we've achieved spiritual growth, which is just not possible. We think that, oh, now I've arrived. I've crossed the finish line. I'm mature. You guys can go ahead and learn from me. And in, in this sense of the illusion of arrival, this is why it's such a dangerous thing because often we get filled with spiritual pride. We start to compare ourselves to other people and we start to feel better than other people. And we start to become judgmental, maybe pharisaical. We start to be very black and white in our thinking. You know, we're in, 
they're out. We're right, you're wrong. This is a great trap for the committed. The move to maturity for the committed is this, and that gets us into our last stage. The move to maturity is this. Let Jesus change you on the inside. Let Jesus change you on the inside. These are the lyrics from a song that we sang earlier. All of our songs have really pointed to where we've been talking about today. This song, you have all my attention. I will linger and listen. I can't miss a thing. Lord, I know my heart wants more of you. My heart wants something new, so I surrender all. My heart wants more of you. My heart wants something new, so I surrender all. All I want is to live within your love, be undone by who you are. My desire is to know you deeper. So when you begin to get in step with that move, you start to move into the core, and the core is not a sense of arrival. The core is less about what things are done, and it's more about a way of being. You see, you may do exactly the same things you have been doing, but you will do them from a completely different place. You will start to realize, you will start to realize that it's Christ in and through you. You will start to realize that you have to be mindful of your motives, and that even at best, our motives are mixed. So we start to be aware of the reasons we do good things, and we start to repent even for the motives that we have, but we ask Jesus to go deep into the recesses of our heart so that the outward acts that we're doing actually match the inward motives. We start to realize, ooh, I have a lot to learn about love, a lot to learn about grace, a lot to learn about patience. We start to be honest with ourselves that maybe we're not as far as we thought we were. Humility is a key mark for people in the core stage. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, that's a, you're gonna have to go on an interior journey. You're gonna have to invite Jesus to go inside the interior life. We contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the more that the eyes of our heart are focused on Jesus, the more we begin to be transformed to look more like we were meant to be. We become what we behold. And people in the core know that Christ is all and Christ is everything, as Colossians 3 says. Christ is all and Christ is in all. So it's less about the serving and it's more about your relationship to Christ. It's less about the work you do and it's more about your relationship with Christ. At the core, core level, you start to realize, I am in Christ and that's all that really matters. I know Christ and Christ knows me. I love Christ and Christ loves me. That's all that is everything to me. And now I see not just my daily work as daily work, but as a part of my key relationship with Christ. And now I see my marriage or my singleness or my dating, not as just this separate life, but a part of my relationship with Christ. And now I see taking care of kids or taking care of parents as centered in Christ. And I look at the lens of everything as being in relationship to Jesus. And he's kind of just consumed us in this place.
we love people well and we receive love well and we're gracious people and we're on mission people and the watching world has a good reputation with us because we know how to interact with people who have questions or doubts or concerns because we get it. This is what the hope of maturity is, that we start to live better in those rhythms, not as in the sense of arrival or I've figured it out. So where are you? And in, in, in reality, we might be in a few different places. We might have some characteristics and traits of different state, and that's fine. But where are you? Is there anywhere that you're stuck? That you're like, whew, I didn't realize. I've, I've been stuck for months or years in this, this place. I've been drinking that spiritual milk, and we've got to move on. And what is that move for you? I'd also like to say, if you're starting to realize that you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, like, oh, I've never even signed up for this thing. And that's you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to help you know more about following Jesus. In fact, if you're joining us online, there's a little tab that you can click. I would like to know more about following Jesus. I'd like to accept Jesus. We would love to support you with any resources that we have, wherever you may be. I'll close with this quote from John Newton. He's probably most well known for uh, being a part of the slave trade and then converting to Christianity and then fighting um, as an abolitionist to overturn the slave trade. He also wrote Amazing Grace because of his story. And he said this, I'm not what I might be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I'm not what I hope to be but I thank God I'm not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not there yet, but I'm also not stuck. I'm in process. Let's go forward. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you meet us no matter what stage we're in. You meet us no matter our questions, no matter how we're connecting with you, you are so incredibly accommodating to who we are and how we seek you and find you. And we thank you for that grace. It's you all along that's been working in our lives. It's you all along that's been strengthening us. It's your Holy Spirit all along that's been helping us grow, guiding us, giving us those thoughts and motives to change. So we give you praise because we did not by our own strength and by our own hands and by our own wisdom and by our own intellect get ourselves here. But it's you. So we're grateful. We also ask for clarity on how to keep growing, keep us hungry, keep us humble, Please protect us from the sense of arrival, of being at the top. Help us know that true spiritual growth is not about ascending, but about descending. Help us to surrender to you. Not for our sake, but so that you might be lifted up, so that we might be an aroma of Christ, so that you might be magnified. We pray this for your sake, in Christ's name, amen.